scripture this morning comes from 2 Kings 18, 13 through 18. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria at Lachish, saying, I have done wrong. Withdraw from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will bear. And the king of Assyria required of Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. And Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of the Lord and in the treasuries of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the doorpost that Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rabsaris, and the Rabshakeh with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. When they arrived, they came and stood by the conduit of the upper pool, which is on the highway to the washer's field. And when they called for the king, there came out to them Elakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. I know I'm not alone when I say this, but... Um because there are many uh, people in the room just like me, and you have a button. The button is not one that others necessarily push, it's one that you choose to push. And this week, I uh, errantly chose to push that same button. It is a button that when things go as they should not go, you kick into overdrive and fix it mode. And you uh, attempt to fix things that aren't as they should be. When I do it, I act first and pray second. And I should pray first and act second. Is there anybody else in the room who's with me? All right, so thank you for your honesty. I appreciate it. I feel a tad better. Hezekiah has been king for 14 years now. Everything is starting to move and be in its place. There is great worship as Passover has been restored. The Day of Atonement, you would imagine, though it's not recorded, has been restored. The temple itself has been physically restored. Uh, There is great success that he has enjoyed And then the king of Assyria rears his ugly head. His name is Sennacherib. Sennacherib as king of Assyria is an awful king. He uh, destroys and deposes of Israel in the north. Hezekiah is king of Judah in the south. The capital city is Jerusalem. And so... Sennacherib now heads south and he heads toward the city of Jerusalem. Lachish, that is referred to in the text, is the last city he attacks before he gets to Jerusalem. These are, from history, Sennacherib's own words. As for Hezekiah the Judean, I besieged 46 of his fortified walled cities and surrounding smaller towns, which were without number, 
He himself, I locked up in Jerusalem, his royal city, like a bird in a cage. The passage we are in today is when Sennacherib shows up in Jerusalem, having devastated cities all around it. He sent word to Hezekiah to surrender. Hezekiah had formed an alliance with at least three other countries, and evidently that alliance has fallen apart. And so word comes to him to surrender. Hezekiah, this king known for trusting, stumbles. And perhaps you're here this morning facing your own set of daunting circumstances. A problem you can't solve. A burden that seems a bit too heavy for you to carry. And perhaps you, like Hezekiah, are stumbling. Rather than trusting God, you're hitting the let me fix it button. From Hezekiah's mistakes today, we learn three things that you and I cannot trust. Uh, first of all, you can't trust money. As Mark has read, in the 14th year, when the king of Assyria sends his men, he asks for a whopping amount, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. To put that into terms that perhaps we can wrap our minds around, that is 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. That's a lot of money. 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. Well, where would Hezekiah find such? How would he get his hands on that? He went into his treasury and got everything out of it. And when that wasn't enough, he went into the temple of God and he stripped the doors and the doorposts of the gold that was on them. In other words, Hezekiah stole from the people to pay the enemy. Hezekiah stole from God to pay the enemy. How do we do that today? How is it that today men and women steal from others to pay the enemy? Let me step into your lives for just a moment. The son who grows up with an alcoholic father, that father has stolen that joy and privilege that a son needs and deserves for a father who loves him, and he has instead traded it for alcohol. He gives to the enemy what only should belong to his son. The mom who sees another man, finds him attractive, thinks he'll be nicer to her than her husband. Her eyes wander, then her fingers wander on her phone, and then her mind wanders and her body wanders, and eventually she's in full-blown adultery, having robbed from her children a family. 
She steals from her children to satisfy her own desires. Oh, there are other examples of this. Hezekiah stole from God to pay the enemy. He stole from the people to pay the enemy. You see, we live in a country where we can pretty much get our hands on what we want. Some of us are a little frustrated right now. Things take a little longer to get than they once did. We were lured by Amazon's next day promises, and now it seems that it might be next year. Right? But as Taylor has shared, and as we've had the privilege to go to other countries, all of a sudden you discover in other countries where the capacity to purchase is limited, the capacity to pray is elevated. Received an email this week from Matt Toombs. Matt and Elena are missionaries that your dollars help support, and they talk of a church in a, a village called Goler. One of the miracles that has happened in the church is about a man, uh, they write, who was so sick he couldn't even stand up or move around. So the church brought him out of his home and into the church and laid him down on the church floor. They gathered around him and prayed over him, then brought him back to his home. Within two days, the man fully recovered and was back on his feet, fully recovered. This man had been sick for a long time as well, and nothing seemed to work except the power of prayer that came from the church. I ask you this morning, do you believe God can heal the sick? Do you? We so often are able to go to the doctor as we should when we need to, so much so that we don't turn to God. My dad tells the story of me being just a preschooler, a young man, a young baby, and I developed a high fever, and dad had no money to find a doctor. Dad had his favorite place to pray when we lived in Tennessee, which was in an old shed behind the house, and dad said, I just went out to the old shed, and I got down on my knees, and I said, Lord, you know my boy's in there, and he's sick, and I have no money to take him to the doctor, and if anything is going to happen, you're going to have to do it. Dad said, I got up from my knees, I walked back into the house, and within 30 minutes, uh, your fever had broken, and you were crawling around on the floor as if you had never been sick. Do you believe God can do that, church? Do you believe there is a God in heaven who is able? Matt Toombs continues, and Elena, there was another young adult who was a student going to school, but he had to stop school because he was being afflicted by evil spirits. It was so bad he had to stop everything in his life. So the church, the church at this village called Goler, took the young man, brought him into the church and prayed over him. After they prayed for him, they brought him back to his village and he was healed. No more affliction from evil spirits. About three weeks ago, somebody came to their, our office Laura came to get me and she said, there's a woman out here who's hearing voices. Can you meet with her? Well, absolutely. 
She came back into my office. We sat down. I began to talk with her at one point. She leaned and looked forward, and I looked at her, and she said, yes, the voices have spoken yet again. I said, I want to say to you, sitting in this office this afternoon, I don't know who's talking to you, but I know a God in heaven who sent his son, Jesus Christ, who communicated the loudest message ever heard. And if you want to trust Christ as your Savior, Jesus Christ can take care of any voice coming through your head right now. And that woman bowed, gave her life to Christ, and is in a drug rehab facility today. Can God do that, church? Of course he can. He is God. He is more than able. Do you know I'm afraid we have our go-tos and one of them is money and we are so able to financially take care of so much in our lives that we hit the take care of it button rather than the pray. Go to God. This Week in Life group, you'll look at some of your go-tos. you honestly examine them and just ask the question, God, God, how can I make it you? Number two, and this should go without saying, you can't trust politics. All right, so you just can't trust politics. Notice what happens here. And the king of Assyria sent the Tartan, the Rapsaurus, and the Rabshaka with a great army from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. Who are those guys? The Tartan is the highest official other than the king. You would think of him as a prime minister. The Rapsaurus is the chief officer of the army. The Rabshaka is the field commander. In other words, these are his three ones. How does Hezekiah respond? He responds by sending out his three chief officers. So you've got chief officers talking with chief officers officers. This was a political move on Hezekiah's part. It was below him to go meet with anyone other than the king. And the Rabshakeh said to them, say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, it's a small thing to note, but throughout all of this, Sennacherib's men call him the great king and they call Hezekiah, Hezekiah. That's on purpose. So here's what they ask on what I'm reading now in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 18. On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? This is after Hezekiah has dropped 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. It wasn't enough. Please hear me this morning. The enemy is never satisfied. The enemy is never satisfied. Hezekiah trusted in his political prowess. He trusted in political alliances. The men continue. I'm now reading in verses 21 through 24 of 18. Behold, you are now trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff, which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Do you know what is amazing is that these three pagan officers of a pagan king know more at this point than Hezekiah does. 
They're saying if you trust in Egypt, if you lean on Egypt, it's a broken staff. It's got a jagged edge, and that jagged edge will pierce you. They're saying you can't trust politics, though they're politicians. That's familiar, isn't it? And Hezekiah, what will, he, what will he do? They continue, but if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar in Jerusalem. Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you're able on your part to set riders on them. How can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants? When you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. I want to say something in light of this crazy year and a half we've been in. At Grace, we're a young church as churches go. We're about 22 years old next month. That's young as churches go. For 22 years... We have not preached politics, and we're not starting it in year 23. This is not who we are. If some of you, as you observe the politically charged climate, would love to come in here and me rally the troops and get people all revved up about a certain candidate or a certain political cause, it isn't going to happen not our call. I don't know how many of you are familiar with D. James Kennedy. D. James Kennedy was a pastor who is now with the Lord, who for years pastored Coral Ridge Presbyterian Church in uh, Florida. Kennedy is the one who began Evangelism Explosion, that ministry to equip people to share the gospel and tens of thousands of people came to faith in Jesus through evangelism explosion but but something happened he became enamored with politics he began to preach sermons on Jefferson and Washington and other figures and other people and political ideologies of his day at the point that he began, his church was at 7,500 in attendance. At his retirement, it was at 1,500 in, his atten in attendance. I'm not saying all of it is that. I'm just saying you would have been hard-pressed to tune in on a Sunday and hear the gospel. And yet, God used him before that in remarkable There is an allure from the left. There is an allure from the right to take the sacred desk of God's word and turn it into a political force. May it never be so in this place. May we only always preach the gospel. Hezekiah trusted in the art of spin. You say, what do you mean 
I'm now reading verses 26 through 30. Then Eliakim, that's Hezekiah's man, the son of Hilkiah and Shebna and Joash, said to the Rabshakeh, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Do not speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. What are they saying? Listen, speak in Aramaic. We want to tell them what we want them to hear. We don't want them to hear what you're saying to us and understand it. That's called spin. And you thought it was new. You thought that those political pundits who get paid an enormous amount to spend three minutes to give their collective wisdom, which most usually can be expended in three minutes on CNN and Fox, were the first spin people ever to exist. No, this is spin. They're saying, don't tell us this. Did it work? Listen up to what happened. But the Rabshakeh said to them, has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? What does he mean by that? Well, the way that warfare happened, they surrounded the city, cut off the water supply, starved the people to death, so much so that in some cases in the Old Testament, they literally cooked their own babies and ate them. And this guy says, you'll eat your own dung and drink your own urine when we're done with you. Wow. Then the Rabshakeh stood out and called in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us and the city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. And you know, somebody was perched on that wall with Facebook wide open. And they were just typing what he was saying and sharing it. And boom, there it goes through the whole city. You, you, can't, you can't trust politics. Now, I pray, I mean this. I take voting seriously, and I pray that God calls more men and women, Christian men and women, into politics. And I pray they stay Christian in it. That, my friends, is the challenge, isn't it? But if we think that a certain man or woman in office is going to save our country, we have another thought coming. Unless God saves us, we're doomed. We're done. Uh, thirdly, you can't trust the enemy. Verse 25, moreover, these are Sennacherib's men still talking. Is it without the Lord that I've come up against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Did you hear that? Uh, this, this man is saying the Lord sent him to destroy the Lord's people. The devil is a pathological liar. 
He believes his own lies. That is the definition of a pathological liar. He says, God sent me to destroy God's people. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, says this, For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. So Satan masquerades as an angel of light, but he also has messengers who masquerade as angels of light. Leading up to this last election, I began to receive emails from a group called the North Carolina Council of Churches. Well, you would read that and assume that's a good thing. Now, I have tried repeatedly to unsubscribe, unsuccessfully. Whoever's running that part needs to figure it out. So I still get emails every single week. What were the emails about? They had put together a very convenient package for pastors. Ten, I think, maybe eight to ten sermons that we could preach. Bulletins included all the sermon material to elect Joe Biden as president. Unashamed of that. Quite clear on it. Sermons on justice for the LGBTQ community the environment, sermons on um, immigration. Put out by pastors, so-called, to pastors, so that there would be this groundswell movement from church people to elect president. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. When you depart from the word, you depart from God, period. Period. Doesn't matter who you are, right or left. John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Please hear me. Satan does not merely want to, to harm you. He wants to destroy you. 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But he doesn't present himself like that. As a matter of fact, verses 31 through 35, just listen. Just listen as I read. This is the messenger now. I imagine the tone has shifted a bit. And I'm going to read it as I imagine the tone now is from Sennacherib's man. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria. Let me pause. In the Old Testament, thus says the is reserved for God. 
make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of you his own fig tree. And, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern. Until I come to take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey, that you may live and not die. I want to pause. Is this the same guy who said they would eat their own dung and drink their own urine? who now promises them a land of wine and honey, olive trees, is it? And do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods? And he lists of all these other people groups, uh, these other city-states that he devoured. Who among all the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? One commentator puts it this way. His speech ends with the audacious claim that Sennacherib, not Hezekiah, is doing the Lord's will and that the Assyrian king will be Israel's shepherd king. A combination of Moses, I'll lead you out, of Joshua, we'll win together, and Solomon, green pastures, peace, prosperity, besides still waters, into a promised land flowing with wine, oil, and honey. Please hear me this morning. I want to speak first to teenagers in the room. If you're in here and you're a teenager and you've got a mom or dad sitting near you, I'm going to make an assumption. I know it's not a completely 100 assumption, that if your mom or dad are sitting near you, they love Jesus and they want you to love Jesus too. And there's a big world that promises a whole lot. But it is not green pastures. It isn't wine and oil and olive trees. Listen to your parents. Listen to them. Do not argue with them. Are you listening, teenager? I want your eyes on me right now. Do not argue with them. They're wise and a gift from God to you. Amen, parents? Number two, if you're in here and in some way the Spirit has convicted you that you are wandering from the truth, Whatever your age may be, I, weak, only called by God, no better than you, have been used by God today to say, wake up.
turn. Stop. Whatever it is. Today. Louisa. Louisa Stead is her name. Born in 1850, died in 1917. I've told her story before and it will be familiar to some of you. She uh, grew up with a desire to be a missionary. And when she did, um, she dreamed of that and God brought her a husband and they got married and they had a child. And one day when that child was four years old, they were out at Long Island and a little uh, young man was swimming and they realized that um, he was drowning. He began to yell for help and Louisa's husband uh, rushed into the waters to save him and he and the boy died. While she and her four-year-old watched. Unthinkable. She was from Cincinnati. She um, moved, went through, as you can imagine, in that time, extreme poverty. Would wonder from time to time where meals would come from. But she learned to trust God. And she would pray. The night before, cupboards empty. And the next morning, somebody would have left food for her and her little girl. Uh, she never lost the desire to go to the mission field and she married again and she and her husband did. They went to what is modern day Zimbabwe and began to serve the Lord until she became so ill she had to come back. But God had birthed in her daughter this desire for missions and her daughter stayed and God worked wonderfully through her. We're going to sing a song that she wrote during that time. That time of great difficulty. And that song is a hymn. If you've grown up in church, you know. But if you haven't, we're thrilled to introduce it to you today. Tis so sweet to what? Trust in Jesus just to take him at his word, just to rest upon his promise, just to know, uh, thus says the Lord. This morning, uh, we've looked at what we can't trust, and we're going to talk about now and sing to and about who we can. Would you stand? Church, Jesus, Jesus, how. 
worship this morning. Amen? Yes. Uh, just a couple quick announcements before we get out of here. Every year uh, we participate in Operation Christmas Child uh, where we send shoebox off, shoeboxes off uh, to kids who are in other countries. And uh, this year we're going to do it differently than we usually uh, do it. We're going to have a virtual family shoebox packing party on November the 15th. So starting next Sunday the 7th. You'll be able to pick up as many shoeboxes as you want. They'll be in every single lobby. We have uh, around 400 shoeboxes, and I'm hoping that all of them get going. So uh, you can get as many as you want uh, starting next Sunday. And then on the 15th at 7 p.m., we will go uh, virtual on our Facebook page and our YouTube uh, page. And families uh, all across our county and and for all those who will be tuning in will be packing together at the same time. And we're so excited uh, to do this. So hope that you all join in uh, and become a part of that. Um, if you are a first-time guest with us this morning, so glad that you uh, have joined us. We have a tent out front out here uh, that Pastor Jerry will be at. If you all have questions, we would love to connect with you, get to know you. Please stop by there uh, and say hi uh, there. Uh, this Wednesday is first Wednesday. Uh, we will have a worship service at 7 p.m. in this room. And we will get to celebrate baptism uh, at this first Wednesday, which I'm so excited about. It is always such an amazing night of worship. Uh, We'll be able to hear Alex, who's on our staff, uh, preach Wednesday night. It'll be such an amazing night. Hope that you all can come out and be a part of that and celebrate with us. Also, if you're here and you need prayer, you've got some heavy burdens, some things um, that you would love somebody to pray with you about, uh, a few of our staff will be right up here on the, on, right here on the front of the stage. Please come forward. We would love to pray with you, talk to you, uh, anything like that. Uh, May God bless you, keep you, make his face to shine upon you, and be gracious to you. Y'all have a great week.